Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning. Good morning. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast and it is raining. Interestingly enough, even though there's enormous uh, drum rolls and uh, lots of uh, panic on the commercial radio and TV about the rain, the rain, the, uh, uh, there is, in all the parts of Melbourne that I'm in, it is not flooding. I was quite excited about the idea of it flooding, but it didn't flood, and uh, I presume that it's all flooding somewhere else. So, uh, obviously, the pitter-patter of rain on your tin roofs may or may not be causing you consternation. Anyway... Uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, uh, a whole range of things to do with uh, refugees, especially focusing on Manus. We're going to uh, hear a little bit about uh, what's going on tomorrow, which is the celebrations, the 163rd celebrations of uh, Eureka. Uh, and then we're going to have a final word from Noah Persil. He's going to give us his phone, final conversation for the year, which is always a very nice thing to do, to uh, have a word with Noah. But before we do... Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti-war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooeyed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday the 7th of January or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadela at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter. What a fantastic idea. <laughs> so cukey and so interesting to ensure that uh, the work of uh, important leftist progressives are, are honoured in culture. Uh, the uh, uh, What happened on Friday, the 24th of November, when uh, there was the ongoing rallies outside the State Library in Melbourne uh, in support of the fellows at uh, Manus that are being held there by the, well, the Australian government, the PNG government. Oh, everybody's putting up their hands. They can't quite work out who are the primary 
abusers of these people. Anyway, uh, there's been ongoing rallies, as you're probably aware, down at uh, State Library steps uh, to uh, keep it in the mind. So business as usual is not okay. Now, but on the 24th of the 11th, there was a skirmish and it uh, was all uh, revolved around uh, some... um, Fellows, uh, fascists, known fascists, uh, uh, jumping onto the stage, grabbing the mic and then declaring that all all these refugees shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't care about these refugees because they're all rapists, apparently. And uh, then there was a scuffle and uh, a variety of things happened uh, where the uh, fascists, a couple of them were taken away, but uh, it was the... uh, uh, according to the people who were there, it was the uh, uh, anti-fascists, the uh, uh, refugee activists that were gathered up, the ones who, who stopped them from taking the mic and uh, were gathered up by the police. Anyway, on Sunday, the following Sunday, the 26th of the 11th, there was a big get-up uh, called by Get Up, a big uh, rally in support of the refugees outside the uh, State Library. But there was a whole lot of other things that happened as well. And that rally for the refugees was scheduled for something like 11 o'clock in the morning. But by the time I went to the city at, at 2 o'clock, there was this incredible standoff going on uh, in at the intersection of uh, Flinders and Swanson Street. Special Operations Police had gathered and put a line across the street blocking about 50 to 100 uh, refugee uh, supporters uh, so they couldn't move on. So I stopped and I gathered information about what happened, why they were there, their reaction to the police, because I swear it was the most extraordinary uh, event, seeing something like on every corner when I was going past on the tram, there were sort of like 20 special operations cops on each corner, the full corners. And uh, and I, as the tram had come along, I'd seen a, a sort of relatively small group of refugee supporters uh, coming up from the NGV, the National Gallery of Victoria and the people who were there explained to me what was going on and uh, it was fascinating. So uh, there's a lot of issues going on here. One, the uh, support for the refugees, uh, the federal government's uh, abusive human rights abuses, plus this incredible ramping up of uh, police uh, against peaceful demonstrators. Uh, It's pretty uh, loathsome. So we're standing here in the intersection of Flinders and Swanston Street in solidarity with the refugees and asylum seekers on Manus Island and Nauru. We're calling for them to be evacuated immediately and resettled safely. On Friday night at a very peaceful rally, some known fascists made an incursion into the peaceful rally. Some of um, the anti-racist and refugee rights activists defended... Um, the, the people speaking on the platform and defended one another and the police arrested 
those people, not the fascists. In fact, they had a nice little chat down the corner while other police were bashing one of our comrades. He was bloodied, bruised, head injured and left in the back of a brawler van for 40 minutes. There was no ambulance. He was taken to a police cell and left there for another five hours or four or five hours. Uh, So this morning we called a protest in in protest of state violence, whether it's on Manus, Nauru or in Australia. We protested all forms of state violence. We took the streets. They wouldn't let us march up Swanston Street, so we marched around to this intersection. We joined the Get Up rally and then we held this intersection for a while, a few hours. Then we marched up to the NGV because the, uh, the Victorian government has contracts with Wilson Security, the detention industry profiteers. We want them to cancel those contracts now. So we had a beautiful action up there with a cello player. It was a very symbolic, beautiful action. And then people spontaneously decided to march back down here to the Swanston Street, Flinders Street intersection to show that we are not going to be silenced and that we are not going to stop until the refugees are free. Have the police given any explanation for this overkill? None at all. Um, We're disruptive basically. What's your impression of what's going on here? Um, I'm overwhelmed. I think it's wonderful. I've, I was at the rally earlier. I joined the first rally down at um, the Mall, and then I marched with the marchers to the Get Up rally. That finished much sooner than I thought it would. How many people turned up today? It was huge, huge, and, and different, different people, you know. Um, more conservative, I guess, is the way you describe them. So then my friends and I went and had lunch down by the river because we were waiting in the city to go to the, the um, rally or not sure what it was called because I didn't really know much about it, but it was something down at NGV. So we arrived when that was actually happening and it didn't last much longer after we got there. So we were just coming back here to get on the train and go home and, and here I find that uh, this intersection... Um, outside Flinders Street Station has been taken over by the activists. I've, I've been to, this is my fourth rally, yeah, the fourth time. Uh, so Friday night was my third week in a row at the rally in front of the State Library. And it's been perfectly obvious each time that the last thing they wanted us to do was take over this intersection. Well, we haven't taken it over completely. Traffic is going east-west, but it's not going north-south. And it's so beautiful. There's no no screaming, no yelling. Women are humming. I don't even know the tune, but they're humming, and it's profound. What do you think about the police behaviour on Friday? Uh, abominable, disgraceful. I arrived after the incident, and as I was on my way to the the main area in front of the state library, I walked past two uh, persons who were. The, the ones who tried to break up the rally and that although they were handcuffed they seemed to be very comfortable in the police presence whereas the actor the activists refugee activists who had been assaulted by the police one was I mean I didn't see it then because you couldn't there was a sea of people around him but I've seen it since on video on Facebook and this man was bleeding profusely and he was prevented from getting 
medical assistance. I also saw a woman who clearly knew him saying, his wife's here, could you please let her through? And they weren't even prepared to do that. They uh, cut off a, a group of people who were walking along uh, La Trobe Street who were going to meet the uh, other march on Friday night. Do, do you have any idea what the police's explanation for this behaviour? Because it's, it's been going on, these rallies have been going on every week for quite a long time now. They're not uh, aggressive. They're, uh, what, what's, have you heard anything about police explanations for their behaviour? No, I haven't. But I'm really tempted to um, try to contact our Premier and ask him because the thing is police don't act in isolation. They're, they're acting under orders. And their orders, it seems to me, are to, to brutalise the refugee activists and to treat kid gloves, the fascists. G'day, I'm from 3CR. Do you want to give me your observation of what's going on here? It's incredibly powerful. It's an incredible statement of unity with an incredible resistance on menace and in all detention centres and all prisons. Can you uh, tell me what, what you think? There's an enormous amount of police here and it's quite clear that the people uh, who are on the road here are not violent people. What, do you, have you got any idea of what the police rationale is? Uh, yeah, because of what what the police stand for. It doesn't matter who was here. The police stand for the violent continuance of of mandatory detention. They're here to defend it. They're here to attack those who um, resist it. Um, so there's no difference between um, the militarised police who are here to the militarised police who attacked asylum seekers and have killed asylum seekers on Manus, to the militarised prison officers that, you know, bash and strip search prisoners every day in prisons all over this country. We live in a prison nation, so this is just one expression of that. May I ask you your impression of what's going on here? Where are you from? 3CR. All oh, right. I think this just sitting quietly is really effective and just staying and staying and staying no noise or yelling or shouting just just being here with the signs hmm. were you here on friday no couldn't be here on is friday. that why you came here today no not because of that just because of the issue hmm. yes yes absolutely yes is that the same for you yes absolutely what do you think of the police presence? Um, no, it's, I've never seen, been somewhere where there's such a line-up as this. I went and um, stood over there and asked if it's all right if I took a photo along the line, and they just stood. Well, the, one of them did actually finally give me a little nod and smile. And I thought, you know, is it all right if I take a photo of this great big line of police or not? And it was, but... It's weird. I was wondering that. It looks like it is growing, doesn't it? Yeah, I've been here for the... I missed the speeches there, but then I joined here and went on the walk and down to the art centre. It was really good. Because it's important, isn't it? Important. Very important. Yeah, it's been really distressing watching it all unfold. Um, just, It's a long four years as well, you know. 
Are you surprised by the amount of police? I'm just shocked by the police. I keep talking about it. I took photos of... I don't... I don't is it to protect us, I hope? <laughs> this is a peaceful protest. There's no reason to have anything... This makes us look like we're going to be violent when then that's not the case at all. I mean, I'm just a mother of three children wanting to uh, peacefully protest. There's no violence here. Nobody here is violent. They just want to get rid of the violence that's happening to other people. You know, they want to speak out against, peacefully speak out against violence that's happening to other people. But this is making it look as though they're preparing for us to charge them. That's what it looks like. <laughs> it's just crazy. They've got their special little Gladiator outfit. This is uh, political police, isn't it? It is. It is. I just can't believe Andrews is capable of this. I've been to so many rallies, I've never seen the last couple of weeks a reaction like this with special operations unit, special operations units being brought out. Usually usually with the refugee rallies, they know we're peaceful and they'll even have a joke and a smile with us, but this is real provocation the last few weeks. So you were there on Friday? Yeah. Can you tell me about what happened? Neil Erickson, a, um, a Nazi who's the uh, one of the founding members of the United Patriots Front, an Islamophobic racist group that's been trying to organise street mobilisations in Melbourne for the last two years. He stormed the stage at our refugee rally, took the microphone and shouted that uh, don't let the refugees in, they're all rapists. A couple of refugee activists who were there um, basically yeah, tried to push him off the stage, take away his microphone and the police uh, escorted Neil Erickson away, the Nazi, um, and yeah, arrested and really brutalised the refugee activists that tried to stop him. One of them they you know, pushed to the ground and he had his head uh, cracked open. The mainstream media has been reporting that it was uh, a fascist who the police um, cracked the head open of and arrested. It actually wasn't. It was the anti-racist that tried to stop him. Um, and so from there, basically the activists uh, surrounded the police and wouldn't let... Um, you know, wouldn't let them take him away in the in the van um, to you know take him away to the police station until they uh, gave him medical treatment. Someone in the crowd around him was a nurse and was saying, "Let me through, I'm a nurse." Um, but they were just refusing to give him any medical treatment uh, for a very long time. We demanded our right to march and asserted it, and then yeah, we were, ended up being able to push back the cops. Um, we ended up doing a kind of uh, a roundabout way and getting uh, to Flinders Street, um, where we're here today again now, and um, yeah, being able to kind of occupy it and demand our right to march. Uh, uh, was the police presence as great as it is now each of the Friday nights? It's been ramping up each time, I think, um, especially since uh, since what happened on Friday. Since the siege started on Manus Island, we've been trying to um, have every single Friday night have a march and then an occupation of Flinders Street, and they've been trying to block us and stop us from that. Um, at the same time as... The mainstream media has been trying, to, you know, has had a basically had a blackout on reportage of what's happening on Manus Island. Um, but the fact that we've basically defied them and asserted our right to march and um, occupied, you know, even if they've if the cops have gotten there first, we've kind of surrounded them and made it such that you know the cops themselves, surrounded by us, are occupying Flinders Street. So the traffic's being stopped either way. We're disrupting business as usual. Um, yeah, so I think that's why they're kind of extra militarized, trying to shut it down. And there's more and more cops every single time we come out. But yeah, we keep refusing to be Has there by been them. a previous excuse for the police to use pet spray as they did on Friday? 
Um, it's unusual for them to use pepper spray at a refugee rally. Um, it happened at this one, I guess, because we were kind of confronting them and demanding, you know, trying to push them back and demanding our right to march. The only other ones I've seen them where they do that frequently is the anti-fascist rallies when there are fascists um, who, uh, yeah, you know, kind of uh, try and have uh, protest marches in the streets and the cops come to basically escort the fascists down the street and let the Nazis have their rally. Um, and they, yeah, and they, they block and pepper spray the anti-racists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, it's um, yeah, interesting to see them come out and use that uh, against people having a refugee rally as well, but it makes sense really. <laughs> essentially blocked traffic from all four sides of the intersection for us. It's funny. It's nice. Thank you. Thanks, cops. I'm here, same as others, to show solidarity to the refugees and say that we are not forgotten and we stand with you and we fight for rights. Actually, our fight is just protesting, peaceful protesting. And uh, Friday was really violent night I, I didn't expect it and I was shocked when it happened I was here and uh, I had pepper spray on my arm and my, on my face and I couldn't breathe for like an hour I mean well not. and uh, it, it was violent from police we, we were just protesting and these are our streets and we were marching and nothing against law or they let the fascists go and then they attacked uh, the protesters that was just awful great okay. medics were there and uh, no, some of the protesters were prepared to take care of injured people and uh, they did it immediately to myself uh, right after I had the spray on my body they started to washing and you know putting treatment on it and uh, it took me an hour to feel stable but uh, you know it's not about body injury it's you get hurt mentally in uh, you're like why we didn't do anything wrong we are not criminal why they should do like that and they were on horses and they spread from up the horses and it was just, you know, you're not expecting that reacts from police. And my knees were shaking. I was terrifying. It was terrifying, really.
Victorian Police to stand down. If we force the Victorian Police to stand down. To allow us freedom of movement in our own city. To allow us freedom of movement in our own city. And we guarantee that we don't take the intersection. And we guarantee that we don't take the intersection. Because we know that they will use force on us. Because we know that they will use force on us. And unlike them. And unlike them. We are peaceful people. We are peaceful people. Concerned for human rights. Concerned for human rights. So my question to you as I negotiate with them. So my question sorry. to you as I negotiate with them. Sorry, that was a tongue twister. Oh, you don't have to repeat that. Um, do we agree through a show of twinkly fingers that if we force them to stand down, that we will peacefully disperse towards Fed Square? We can disperse in whatever direction we wish to move in our city, uh, whether that's to our homes or to eat some food or hydrate, but I am concerned we're going to end up with heat stroke. And I think what we need to show to the Victorian police is that they need to show some reconciliation to us and stand the fuck down. Everyone here okay for me to continue to negotiate this outcome? Yeah. Okay, sweet. All right, as you were. The uh, special operations police are now going our way in regulation formation. I'm Aaron Pedersen and you're listening to 3CR. 
Yes, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and yes, indeed, they did move off on that Sunday that I was there on the 26th. Sorry about the sound difficulties. Uh, no windsock. And on uh, the line, we've got Sophie, who is from the Melbourne Activist Legal Support Group, who was the person who dealt with uh, the issues on Friday when some of the activists were gathered up by the police. Hello, Sophie. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can you tell us what happened? Because there's lots of gossip, lots of things that people said and all the rest of it. Is it true that the per- these people were gathered up by the police and kept for a considerable amount of time? Um, look, to the best of my knowledge on Friday, there were two arrests made of um, people who were there to protest the, Manus, the situation on Manus. Uh, the first man was arrested after an alleged member of a far right-wing group disrupted the speeches at the rally and um, held slurs into the microphone. He then was got in an altercation with a member who was attending the the protest, uh, and that 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 man from the protest side was arrested by police. Uh, and at that point is when the crowd. Uh, attempted to to help that person and um, the confrontation with the police started. During that confrontation, another member of the protest side uh, was quite um, physically, violently physically arrested by police. He did have his face um, pressed into the ground and he received um, abrasions to his cheek and potentially a broken nose during that time. Oh, my goodness. So... uh... Were any charges, they were arrested, were they taken to yep. the watch house? Um, the both were taken to West Melbourne Police Station and released without charge, but I would expect um, that they will receive a charge in the coming months. What that will be, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know, um, but they, they, they might be running, running the risk of being charged with things such as assault or resist police would be what I expect. So, uh, to your knowledge, was uh, any of the uh, far right people arrest, uh, um, charged with any, or arrested, or taken to the police station? No, not that I saw, and not that I've heard since. Uh, as uh, being asked to attend the rally um, by the by the rally organisers, obviously our um, our our mission operative is to look after people who are there attending the rally. Uh, but uh, as far as I saw and was aware, the Member from the alleged member of the far right wing group was not arrested, but was um, directed to leave the area by police. Now you've got a, a long connection with what's going on in Manus, haven't you? You you were there as a legal representative when um, the uh, the fires, uh, the uh, local community at Manus started to shoot at the uh, refugees. That's correct, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that is correct. It, it wasn't the community. It was the uh, the Navy officers at the base. It was the Navy officers. But yes, that is correct that I was there. Yeah, so it's a kind of a lawless situation. Uh, so the refugees are in this uh, terrible situation. So all the things that the refugee rallyists are saying, your experience is backing up, isn't it? Yeah. Look, you know, the, a lot of people who speak at the rallies um, either are refugees are working and campaigning and have direct lines of communication with um, the men on Manus or the or the people on Nauru. Um, and yes, no, I, I, my experiences um, 
to align with with 99.9% of what people are saying. Now, MELS, that's the Melbourne Activist Legal Support Group, is a very important element of a refugee rally or any of the rallies. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you guys are doing and what your role is? Sure. So Melbourne Activist Legal Support is a community volunteer group made up predominantly of uh, solicitors, paralegals, legal clerks, law students and experts in human rights law and criminal law who who have gained that knowledge in their own right. We run... Know Your Rights with Police trainings and information sessions for groups. And we also, on request, will attend protest and rally events to legal rights watch and human rights observe of interactions between police and protesters. So over the last few weeks, we have been attending, upon request, these rallies and documenting the the interactions between the protesters and police, as well as the police presence, the type of police that have been coming out, the numbers and the um, the potential points where we see that those interactions not not aligning with um, current legislation in Victoria and in the Commonwealth. There's this. Uh, it's very surprising the uh, level of police presence, the special operations people, as well as just ordinary cops. Is this a uh, you you would say this was an unusual level of attention, police attention for peaceful rallies? Unusual, arguably unnecessary. I would feel more comfortable saying. Right. Um, I mean, the tensions have been rising. It's a it's a highly politicised issue at the moment that is drawing emotional responses from people in many different parts of the community. So you do have at these rallies quite large groups of people gathering who are quite who are passionate about what they're what they're gathering for, which is you know protected in several forms of legislation in Australia the right to peaceful assembly, um, and we have seen over the last weeks that these um, these rallies and protests becoming impassioned and you know to to think that the police and the state are op- operating completely independent of each other I think is is naive, the level to which um, the police actions are influenced by direct orders from from state and federal members, you know, I'm not going to comment on. But, you know, these 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 large police presences, I think they they've been growing as the as the rallies have been growing. And if you come to a if you come to a protest wearing wearing riot gear before before anything, anyone attending that protest is even in the mindset of acting like that. I mean, you fought, you end up fostering fostering relationships that might not have needed to be to be really enacted there. It was quite interesting because uh, evidence I collected was that uh, people, uh, police on horseback, sprayed the uh, crowd with pepper spray, which makes it indiscriminate spraying, not specific. Yeah. Very strange behaviour. Yeah. Yeah, and you know we are highly concerned with the deployment of OC spray at protests and rallies because, as you mentioned, um, there are strict guidelines for Victoria Police about when, where, and how um, OC spray, um, pepper spray, capsicum spray, is to be deployed. And we've seen it at many rallies over the past few years being deployed indiscriminately, um, and to people who are, you know, sometimes even sitting down. Uh, so whenever we see those things come out, that's a that's a great concern for, for Melbourne activist legal support, and we always seek to document that, and we always ask people in the crowd if they have evidence of that to get in touch with us. 
Yeah, because it's a it's a fear thing, isn't it? Uh, people who have a right to, uh, and as you said, people are impassioned. Uh, a person I knew who's you know would seem to be eminently respectable uh, wanted to go to that rally but was stopped by police and uh, she wanted to know yeah. why can't I go and join this rally because it's very important to me to express my opinion. Yeah, and that that you know that that is that's greatly concerning. No person should have their movement their freedom of movement restricted like that. No person should have their freedom of peaceful, peaceful their right to peaceful assembly restricted to that. Um, you know, we have a long-standing history in Australia of peaceful protest and of protest in general in order to create the free um, society that we have today. And it's liberty that we that we should never be restricted to. We should not be restricted to it by members of Victoria Police. Uh, is there anywhere people can contact uh, Mel's if they've got any uh, information that they need to pass on? Yeah, so we've got a website, obviously. Um, if you Google search Melbourne Activist Legal Support, um, it'll be the first hit. We also have a Facebook page. Um, the first point of contact is to go through um, or email us at melbactivistlegal at gmail.com. Um, and that's that's the best way to get in touch with us. And then... Um, and then to send us any files of footage, videos or photos, or ask us any questions, we're always happy to field on-the-spot responses to people's legal concerns in terms of protests and rights with police. Thanks very much for getting up and talking to us today, Sophie. No dramas. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to 3CR. Now, just uh, to finish off our coverage of uh, Manus and refugee rights and people's right to protest, uh, I got to speak to a woman called Anne Moon who has uh, been working for many years around the issues of uh, medical and legal representation of many of the fellows who were and are on Manus. And she's been going around rural Victoria doing speeches, to, talking to people about what's going on in Manus. And uh, she wanted to uh, get it across to people how important it is that uh, people remember those men on Manus. So, Anne Moon, can you give us some idea about your connection with the uh, refugees in Manus? I've had a connection for probably uh, three and a half years. I started off as a shocked Australian when I saw them being shuffled onto buses and sent to Manus. So um, I became an activist, talking to politicians, going to offices, emails, etc., and it was in 20, early 2015 that I started actually talking to some of the men on Manus. Did you do that through uh, uh, electronic means? Is that yeah. what happened? Yeah, yeah. yeah. With those, uh, those that had um, smartphones, we can talk on Messenger or WhatsApp. Okay. And uh, what were they telling you? Um, very early about, you know, about the conditions, about where they live, um, but also about their families, who they are, um, sometimes why they left. Sometimes they just wanted to talk about Australia or, you know, the, uh, what happens here and uh, what my family. Uh, a lot of it was normal getting to know you kind of chat interspersed with conditions. And you've uh, been an advocate 
a medical advocate and a legal advocate for a, a variety of people on Manus, haven't you, over that period of time? Yes, I have. Um, many, actually. I've probably, I've probably got 50 or more medical cases and um, about the same medical, uh, legal... I'm actually doing a case to try and have the negative uh, assessments reassessed because the system was so badly flawed. What, what, what have you discovered? Uh, I mean, uh, it's obviously been very important to you to, uh, as a person to uh, stand up for the rights or human rights of these people, but what are the things in detail, the types of things that these people have had to deal with? For a start, just the, the sheer horror of the conditions that they live in. These men have lived in uh, steel containers with one tiny window, no air con, and they're, you know, they're a couple of degrees off the equator. I've lived in the tropics. I know how horrible it can be. And that's inhuman. There's another lot in Oscar who live in white plastic tents, 40 men to a tent. Um, the conditions are horrendous. They spend most of their day waiting either to go to IHMS, which is you know could be an hour in the sun, and and another hour or so, sometimes two, to get to the mess, and sometimes to find the foods run out. Um, the uh, constant surveillance by camera and by Wilson security have been horrendous. There is not a moment of those men's lives where they have had any privacy at all. You've been to Manus, haven't you, a couple of times? Three times, yes. Can you tell us about that? Um, I hadn't been able to get uh, into the camp itself because that is on a um, naval base, so you have to get through a naval checkpoint to get there. It's very cleverly done. I had to stay in Loringau, which is the village, and the men would come out to see me there. And the first time was, you know, well over 12 months ago, and we would have, you know, it was nice to meet everybody face-to-face. We'd have a meal together, we'd talk together and cry together and laugh together. Um, And it was really quite good. But at that stage, I realised something needed to be done legally for them and it, and the injustice of the whole thing just was was mind-boggling i just still couldn't believe it and it's just steadily gotten worse now the government's decided that uh it's really important to uh victimize these guys in menace so that they can stop the boats the nebulous boats but in actual fact, there's you know uh, it started off being uh, just below a thousand, then it became about six hundred. Now it's about three hundred people who are refusing to move, and now they're being attacked by the uh, police force in PNG. What's your understanding of what's going on at the moment in Manus for the people that you know? Well, they have been forced out, and they they were actually physically forced out. They were beaten with steel rods. Um, you know, some of the bruises, I've seen some of the the injuries and it's shocking. They were traumatised all over again 
police were bashing them. The whole place was trashed, completely trashed. All their clothing was taken from them. Their possessions were smashed. So most of them left with the clothes they stood up in. Um, and they have gone to three centres, two of which are not finished. Most, One of them doesn't have power. There are several men. I think the number is about 50 at this stage. I could be wrong. It's a fluid number. that don't even have a bed. There are many men in Hillside who don't have a pillow or a mattress. Nothing. Or power. What's wrong with our government that uh, they take their duty of care so lackadaisically? What, what, what's going on? I mean, I know that that's what most people who are standing in uh, rallies around Australia, uh, people are actually a bit gobsmacked. They can't quite understand why this is happening. I, I don't understand it. I mean, I, my grandfather and great-uncle were prisoners of war. One in Changi, and he died there, and his brother in Ambon, and he died there. These are similar conditions. Uh, and that, they fought against that. This is the fascism that seems to be what's happening, is what they fought against. I'm so pleased they can't see this. Because every day I think, well, something must happen. And every day it actually gets worse. There is something dramatically wrong with both parties. They both accept this. Well, the thing about it is, is that many of the men who are there, they're in this terrible catch twenty-two. They, uh, even though there's been this promotional activity uh, to try and make out that these people are not real people, that that has not worked. But that, they are not saying they actually want to come to Australia anymore, that, aren't they? No, that's true. That's true. I mean, the 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 amount of trauma they've received from Wilson Security, who were mostly Australian, some New Zealand, um, and the comments that they see on social media where people say, you know, you should all just go and drown, um, I'll supply the bullets if someone will, you know, take the gun. Horrendous things that people write. They see this. And so they think that is Australia. They think that's all Australia. And no, they don't want to go. They know they're a good people because, you know, they talk to them and we, we keep up with or try and keep up with phone credit and things like that. But they know the rest, those other people are here. And so now they just want to be let go to whichever country will take them. And many have a third country option. Many of them have a country who has said, we will take this person. And Australia still won't let them go. Why? Is there a, have, have they given any explanation for this behaviour? No. They, they say, well, actually what happens is they say, it's not our decision, this is a border force, it's not our decision, it's PNG's immigration. So then you go with your paperwork to PNG immigration who said, no, we can't make this decision, it has to be ABF. And so this little ball goes backwards and forwards until at some point... Uh, PNG Immigration make a mistake and actually write down in an email, we cannot make this decision. It has to come from Border Force. Um, and then you get nothing from Border Force. As an advocate for these people, for a variety of people, what's your next move? What can you do? 
Uh, well, at the moment, we're just trying to pick up the pieces and get medical help and clothes for those people. You know, a lot of people are wounded, so we're trying to get medical help for them. Medicine San Frontiers are there, although they're not allowed into the camp. Uh, wandering locals can go in, uh, complete with bush knives or whatever, but uh, not Medicine San Frontiers. So, um, but in the meantime, we we have to keep pushing the government and the Labor Party that this is not our Australia. This is not the Australia we want, and this is not the Australia we want for our children. We want a fair and decent Australia, and those men must come here. At least transition them here so that then they can go to whichever countries they have access to. I'd like to say to anybody listening, whatever your beliefs, that these men are good decent human men. Many were boys when they came here. They need a chance at life like anybody else needs a chance at life. And please ask your politicians to do something about that. Thanks for talking to us today, Anne. Thank you. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen and you're listening to 3CR. Yes, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. Uh, if you want to know more about what's going on, go to the RAC website, uh, that's the Refugee Act, uh, Activist Collective. They've got lots of things coming up and there's a, the Human Rights, International Day of Human Rights is coming up so there will be things happening. It won't go away, it won't go away. But on a happier note in a sense, a sort of a happier note, uh, tomorrow, de- Sunday 3rd of December of course, is the 163rd anniversary celebrations at Eureka Stockade site and the uh, for the uh, for the Hardy, uh, 4am dawn ceremony Eureka Park next to the old Eureka Memorial in Ballarat. There's a whole day going on there for uh, for the uh, committed. It goes from 4am, as I said, at the dawn ceremony at Eureka Park. It goes 6am breakfast Eureka Hall, 9am march from Eureka Park to Bakery Hill to reaffirm Eureka Oath. It goes on and on and on until 7 PM. There's dinner at the Eureka Annual Dinner at the uh, Queen's Head Hotel, 146 Humphrey Street, North uh, Ballarat. You can involve yourself in any part of this. You want to know more about it? Then go o four three nine three nine five. Four eight nine. That's o four three nine three nine five four eight nine. Or you can go to anarchistage at yahoo.com to send a message to someone who probably will answer you. Now, I got an interview with a fellow called Peter Fitzsimmons, uh, Simons, Peter Fitzsimons, he's an author and uh, a celebrity really, who is, uh, he's also the head of the uh, Make Australia a Republic and uh, he is going to give the uh, a speech in Ballarat on uh, tomorrow at 11am at the uh, Museum of Australian Democracy at Eureka, the Peter Tobin oration. And uh, I had a quick word with him to find out his perspective on why uh, Eureka, the legacy of Eureka, which is what his talk is about. So you could go along there if you wanted to, if you wanted a, a small amount of... Celebration of Eureka.
We're talking to Peter Fitzsimons and he's going to be doing the uh, Peter Tobin oration at the Museum of Australian Democracy at Eureka on December the 3rd. Now, the uh, title of the talk is The Legacy of Eureka. Now, of course, Peter, you've written a book called Eureka, The Unfinished Revolution. So what tact are you taking when you're going to be giving this talk? Well, I'm also chair of the Australian Republic Movement. So one of my themes is that which they started so gloriously in 1854 and accomplished so much in terms of advancing the cause of liberal democracy in in our brown and pleasant land, there remains unfinished business. And the final unfinished business is for us to be freestanding indeed beneath the Southern Cross. Now, so so in your research for the book that you did, uh, what did you uh, find some of the characters compelling? Oh yeah, look, there are the wonderful, wonderful characters. People like Peter Lawler, who was who led the Eureka Stockade, who led the led led the whole process. I mean, the, the accounts of Peter Lawler standing on the stump, you know, and he says, "I looked out and I saw I didn't I I saw black faces, white faces." Red faces, yellow faces, we were united by one thing, our desire for freedom beneath the Southern Cross. I climbed on the stump and I called out, Liberty! I mean, it's magnificent stuff. And then he says, everybody, kneel down, raise your right hand. And they all kneel down and raise their right hand towards the Eureka flag. And says, repeat after me, we swear by each other and the Southern Cross to fight to defend our rights and our liberties. I mean, it's, it's absolutely wonderful stuff. And for me, it's a much more compelling story than Gallipoli. Gallipoli's not a bad story. It's a great story on a good day. But Eureka actually fighting for democracy on our own soil and for our own sense of identity is, is a wonderful, stirring episode. So uh, it, 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 there's been various uh, attempts to uh, become a republic, but uh, it's quite clear that there's at least two sides to the story and obviously the Eureka Rebellion was one side, but the other side is holding firm. Well, for the moment it is. I mean, look, I don't actually accept there's much of a case for us remaining a monarchy. I mean, for goodness sake, it's 2017, we're well into the 21st century. Who can really look you in the eye and say that in the 21st century... Australia can do no better than to find our head of state from a family of English aristocrats living in a palace in London. Who seriously thinks that? And if, as Mr Shorten, should the Labor government be elected next time, and I might say the Australian Republic movement, we are totally bipartisan, we support neither one side nor another, but at our last gathering of the Australian Republic movement, Bill Shorten, opposition leader, made a statement which is, if the Labor government comes in, in the first electoral cycle, there will be a referendum with a very simple question. Do you think Australia should have an Australian as our head of state? How many people seriously, in 2018, 2019, whenever it is actually done, actually will tick the box which says, no, I don't think Australia should have an Australian as our head of state? You know, there'll be, there'll be, some, there'll be some hard line monarchists, no doubt about it. But I actually think we're not far away from getting it done. We got same-sex marriage done against huge conservative resistance. I actually think we'll get this done too. Mm. And uh, so the uh, tack that you're going to take in uh, on December the 3rd is that uh, actually the seeds of our future were really 
at that Eureka Rebellion? They really were, absolutely, 100%. I mean, what, what, what Eureka was about was in the 1830s in Great Britain and throughout Europe, the ideas of liberal democracy, of having, having the vote, things, things like extending the franchise of the vote. So you don't just have rich people voting and you don't just have rich people in Parliament. You actually have, well, in, back then it was all men voting. It, it took another 50 years before you got women voting as well. But you say we want rich men, poor men, beggar men, thieves, all to be able to vote. And then you say we actually also want parliamentarians to be paid so that the, the, the working class can have one of their own in Parliament making the decisions. All of these ideas were put forward in 1830s and 1840s. They were all pretty ruthlessly crushed, and yet a lot of the people who were activists for those ideas fled Europe. Many of them found themselves at Ballarat in the 1850s, and when the Redcoats came, they put forward exactly the same ideas, and this time they actually said, we're going to organise, we're going to build a stockade, we're going to fight for these ideas, and so they did. And even though, once again this actual rebellion was crushed by the Redcoats and there were 27 diggers killed and 13 of them put on trial for their lives, actually, in which is what we most love in Australian history, even though they lost that battle, they won the war. And there is so much inspiration in the story of Eureka. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen and you're listening to 3CR. A weak solidarity bricky team listener when big supremo Malcolm Tun of Bull attempted to achieve a long-term ambition to make the next Olympic diving team, completing a perfect triple backflip with double puke while the government and Malcolm bent over backwards. So far that they ended up up, uh, but no, we won't go there, we'll be nice. Bent over backwards to prove that the Her Most Gracious Majesty's Kanga mission into the evil trade unions was not a witch hunt by establishing a Her Most Gracious Majesty's very gentle mission into the good, good banks. I can assure you, Malcolm assured us, this Her Most Gracious Majesty's very gentle mission will not be a witch hunt into the good, good banks. Although, let me correct you, the full title is the Her Most Gracious Majesty's very, very gentle mission into the good, good banks and not even slightly gentle con mission into the evil union super funds. Yes, as a matter of, as a number of hayseed and sheepshit party MPs moved to get their own back for Malcolm, apparently it was all his fault. Malcolm not stopping the same-sex marriage 122 million diversion going the wrong way, the way of damned souls and eternity in the flames of hell, with Beelzebub making afterlife even more uncomfortable with his pitchfork, Malcolm stepped in to nip the danger in the butt. This way, we can determine the terms of reference, after proper consultation with the good, good banks themselves, of the hand the evil union super funds to the good, good banks commission, he explained. Uh, don't you mean the commission into the banks? Isn't that what I said? Malcolm did say, direct quote, it's not going to put capitalism on trial which we think was a touch unnecessary, but hope he doesn't look too closely at the history of these things or he'll feel even more besieged, like another evil union witch hunt which ended up scraping his mates off the bottom of the harbour. 
Not the bottom, but bottomless. And directly related, the bottomless generosity of the filthy rich saw their concern for lazy, avaricious workers bring them together over lunch in super filthy rich Anthony Heeser Pratt's, quote, luxury circular key penthouse apartment to fight for even greater returns for workers from their superannuation, a 2.4 trillion pool of funds. And I hope none of us would think for one moment the size of that lovely, lovely, lovely 2.4 trillion growing by the day had anything to do with Anthony, scion of the sadly lamented corporate crook Big Dick, and Gina, scion of, and Lindsay Foxy and the usual top of the super filthy rich pops to get together with former world's greatest worst treasurer Paul, who introduced the super scheme, and the corporate supremos of the biggest super funds and the banks and investment gurus from around the country, and the Secretary of the Treasury who jumped when ordered by the filthy rich, that all they want is to get their hands on all that lovely, lovely. Wash out your mind, because all they care about is getting their hands on all that lovely, lovely, but not through self-interest, not that there's a huge pool of money they don't own, but to help workers get better returns on that lovely, lovely. It would be good for all of us, which, as we know, drives everything they do, if they had all that money, if super funds could operate as a bank and provide that money to them as long-term loans or bonds, invest in them and with them. And the good, good banks and financial institutions oh so generously said they would facilitate all this at an appropriate fee, we assume, but we can't expect them to practice such altruism for nothing. And the father of the East-West Link, Rod, urging them on, said the filthy rich getting their hands on was an idea whose time has come. And Anthony himself, between the prime fillet steak, lobster trimmings and $700 bottles of Grange, allowing them to empathise with the lazy avaricious workers they were there to help, Anthony himself said it was an idea whose time has come. So obviously it's an idea whose time has come. $2.4 trillion of time has come. And Gina said it was a great initiative and backed up by Minister for Getting Their Hands On, Kelly Oda, why are workers so evil, who wants to hand the super boards to the great banks and the financial institutions, which is term of reference number one of the triple backflip, with it's so heartwarming to know that those who generate wealth and work for all of us will go out of their way to make workers' lives and futures that little bit better. Where the future looks a hell of a lot worse, U.S. of the U.N. of the U.S. of the world, big supremo Donald Trump or the poor, twittered fascist material declared by everyone but Donald and the fascists and that great American institution, the Ku Klux Klan, as fake news. Believe me, great, great me, believe me, fake news is not always fake news. Hopefully, life a little bit better best we can say at this time over in Zimbabwe. While one of his henchmen was arrested for getting public funds seriously mixed up with his own, and another henchman accused of mass slaughter became new big supremo, some heartless souls questioned concessions made to Robert Mugabe, like immunity from prosecution for all of the above and heaps more, and a life of luxury with his partner, and a massive handout from the public purse to see them through.
Explained, and this is the bit I couldn't follow, explained by one official asked why he should get a huge percentage of the public purse, he simply got the usual retirement package. Right. But hang on, the usual. It's been a long, 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 long time, but he's the first to retire, so, so what's the usual mean? Thus far, the only. On a non-satirical note, we had such hopes that long, 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 long time ago, and quite properly, I think, the left broadly supported Mugabe in the struggles of the newly independent country, but what a classic example of power corrupts, of the need for political rotation, fixed terms. For most of them, a fixed term of about a day would be good. All part of the how-to-be-a-politician manual like Chapter 8, Section 3B. After a state election, the loser declares there was no relationship with the federal party and people voted on state issues. And the winner says, they don't know what they're talking about. Of course it was a vote of no confidence in the federal government. Although, to be fair, we'd need an example to put that to the test and can't think of one at the moment. Then there's Chapter 4, Section 8D. When someone in the other party is caught saying something inappropriate, scream her, his position is untenable. She, he must resign. The party leader has no choice but to dismiss her, him. When someone in your party is caught saying something inappropriate, sound reasonable, pointing out she, he has apologised, and that puts an end to the matter, lays the issue to rest. Let's get on with good government. On the latter, the tennis-playing politician John Alexander Dunn aced by himself just for performing an hysterically funny, racist, sexist, stand-up comedy routine. Bit of advice to John. Add a couple of good homophobic jokes to your repertoire, complete with the has them rolling in the aisles every time limp wrist routine, and you'll have the full set. Bad pun intended. Parliament needs someone like John, a true wit, to lighten the mood. Well, wit could be half of what he is, but on the former Socialist Party Senator Sam Dastardliari, former, the scream, untenable, etc., manual advice, not that Sam's yet former, well, apparently he has to go. But how could democracy survive without him? What would happen to the working class interests he spends every waking hour defending? I suppose our one consolation is he'd be replaced by another New South Wales Socialist Party fighter for the working class, devoted to nothing else. On which, we talked to the Minister for Concentration Camps, Razor Wire and Sink the Boats, Peter Duffer, about the importance of protecting our borders, which he is doing so diligently on our behalf. Emphasis on the dill bit. Uh, Duffer, that great true blue Aussie, former much-loved Big Supremo, the little bald-headed bloke who used to be Big Supremo back in those dark ages, said true blue Aussie must determine who comes here, must determine our borders. Absolutely. A great man. Uh, by dark ages, I assume you mean when Islamic terrorists threw their dear little children overboard? A great man who knew we must determine our own borders. A true and great patriot. Uh, yes, uh, and Socialist Senator Sam Dastardliari said, like true blue Aussie, China too must determine its own borders. A dastardly traitor. Treason. Shame. His position is untenable. He must resign. How dare we talk such untrue blue Aussie rubbish?
Uh, by the way, what would have happened if the terra nullius minister four back in 1788 had adopted your approach? Huh? I've got no idea what you're talking about. Well, he could have left what you're talking about out. Okay, thanks, Duffer, for enlightening us. Pleasure. Finally, prove an example of those New South Wales Socialist Party fighters for lazy, avaricious workers. Not elected yet, but promising signs if she makes it against the wit of the year John Alexander Dunn. Socialist Party candidate Christina Keneally in prayer, accused by Malcolm of wanting to flood True Blue Aussie with illegal, no proper papers, queue-jumping, evil boat people, which would destroy our proud multicultural society as we know it. Come on, get real, Malcolm. Okay, Christina might have believed we should allow all these locked-up-for-life refugees into True Blue Aussie once, like up until she was the candidate, but as her dynamic leader and would-be big supremo little Billy Shorten Ambition pointed out proudly, she now supports the socialist policy of keeping them locked up for life. And that's before she's even elected, from whence history shows it's all downhill. Good morning. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to 3CR. Um, well, I've got Noah on the line here, and it's been a long time since we've uh, spoken to Noah, a long time between drinks, but it's great to have you back, and uh, we're going to try and do a summary of our impressions of the year, which is a pretty tall order. Uh, so, Noah, first off, uh, cab off the rank would have to be the Australian population being grown up enough to give full citizen rights to their gay compatriots. Yes, I, I'm not so sure yet, actually. Uh, let's just wait to see what the uh, legislation looks like when it's finally um, approved and passed. I know that the Senate uh, went some way to that last night, but... There is the spectre of conservative um, parliamentarians uh, or MPs uh, trying to dilute uh, the the bill sufficiently to, in the name of protecting religious rights. And I find that just incredible, given the power of the established churches in this country, that they need some further legislative um, protections. It's just. Uh, for me, um, you know, uh, something that really needs to be challenged. But yeah, it was good to see, um, and it was good to see the the non-binding postal vote um, re- results um, favour marriage equality. Um, so that was great. Uh, it's. Do you reckon it's again, a, Do you reckon it's a bit of a sign that it's terminal, Turnbull now? Uh, yeah, look, I think the polls have told us for some time that if there was an election, uh, Labor would win relatively convincingly. Um, I mean, the, the Queensland elections were uh, quite telling. Um, the Labor government there is not that popular. Um, and uh, One Nation, on the whole, One Nation preferences flowed to the Labor Party, which, again, suggests that there is this fracturing of the sort of right-left um, political spectrum and that uh, we're seeing sort of uh, a, a reform, reformation of that around a whole new politics that is anti-immigration, anti-free trade, workers' rights, uh, social welfare, 
being repackaged in a way that was different to uh, the neoliberal period, the height of the neoliberal period. Um, and, you know, this is not just happening here. Of course, we've seen it in the US. Uh, we've seen it in the UK with Brexit and vote and in other parts of the world. So um, I think the, man, the sort of conservative mantra of conservative politics and um, liberal economics is maybe running its course, may have run its course. Um, uh, sorry, when I say conservative policy, I mean conservative, conservative social values and um, uh, liberal economics. It may have run its course, and there may be a new political framework developing that's going to really challenge both established parties in ways that they, I guess, are, 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 are not able to deal with effectively if we've seen um, evidence from other parts of the world. You mean uh, uh, gender setting? They won't be able to be so effective for the gender setting? Oh, I think that, you know, what we're seeing in, in, in a lot of this is a real reaction about, you know, the the, the problem for uh, more progressive forces is that some of them are attached to open economics or the sort of global e economic um, ideals um, and Others are um, so. Others are attached to the sort of um, collectivism and the um, communitarianism of uh, so around you know more socialist values, um, and that the centre is hardening around very reactionary um, ideals around um, gender, race, mm. um, and a whole range of other issues, um, security. Um, and yeah, you know, that that you know, in you know, I, I think that's how I would frame it. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, mm -hmm. others have different views on that, but uh, yeah, I think we're seeing a re recalibration of the different uh, principles or values that the uh, different ends of politics have. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because down here we've had uh, every weekend for oh, the last month, if not longer, there've been uh, rallies to support in support of the people at Manus. And uh, last week, in the police, there was a scuffle. Effectively, a, uh, a, a um, one of the uh, fascist fellows got up onto the stage and grabbed the mic and said that all of these refugees are rapists and all this sort of stuff. And the scuffle that ensued, uh, basically, the police were much more aggressive towards the person who uh, took the mic from that interloper than to the interloper. And not only that, the level of policing has been incredible. And the, with the special operations people, like, you know, you know, like 80 of them and people on horses and in new sort of gladiatorial outfits. Uh, it's almost like they're trying to ramp up the uh, uh, fear uh, before the fear has even developed, is that happening oh, in Sydney? Seen, oh, look, I think well, well, we had it around the G G G eight summit um, not long ago, mm. uh, a few years ago, um, well, some time ago. Now, I, I think it's been going on for some time. Um, I don't know if you recall a movie called Viva Vendetta, no. uh, which was released, I think, in the early two thousands, when you know they, you know, they talk about the securitisation of society and the and the way that fear is mobilised or employed to mobilise particular types of um, repressive um, police apparatus. 
I mean, I think we've seen that be going on for some. I don't think it's new at all. Um, I would say, you know, if we think about the way that uh, um, we're policed and the, the shifts occurred in the late 1990s, it's part of the neoliberal turn, and also the profitability around uh, the techniques, uh, the policing techniques. I mean, the same securitization tropes that are responsible for Manus Island and um, asylum seeker policy um, are, um, are in play in the in the West Bank and Gaza in Israel, in the walled gates gated communities in Brazil, and in the way that uh, you know sort of race politics have been policed in the U.S. and so we're not immune to that. We're, it's, it's, ha- it's been happening here for some time. What's going on, if we do go to the Middle East, what's going over the, on there with the Saudi Arabians is absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? It's like everybody's broken cover and they've revealed themselves. In what sense? Sorry. Well, in uh, the sense that uh, the uh, Saudi Arabians' attack of, in Yemen seemed almost inexplicable, really. Uh, but now that... It, that there's this sort of uh, quite clear targeting of a... It's a backdoor to Iran, it would appear. Oh, yeah, yes. I mean, this this sort of uh, Middle East Cold War, again, has been going on for some time. Uh, It's played out in Lebanon. It's playing out in Syria. It played out in Iraq, uh, Yemen. Um, There is this notion that Iran is the spectre that uh, challenges Middle Eastern... Uh, autocracies and um, is quite a revolutionary force and that may have been true in the 80s and maybe even in the 90s but I think this is uh, more a power politics now uh, and around influence rather than it is around uh, sort of uh, conserving uh, conservative politics versus revolutionary ones Uh, because the Iranians are far from revolutionary these days in any way and many ways mirror the same conservatism that we're seeing elsewhere in the Middle East. If I could jump from the Middle East for a moment to Zimbabwe, which has been fascinating in the last few weeks. um, um, You know, I've been following it a little little bit. Um, And, you know, it's incredible how, uh, I would say, the parallels between... uh, What I found incredible is the parallels between what's happening in Zimbabwe and what happened in the Arab Spring in places like Tunisia and Egypt in particular. Um, and, and Yemen to some extent, you know, the, this notion of um, long-time leaders passing on their leadership in nominal democracies to family members being the, um, being the sort of trigger for a major shift, either an internal coup or a um, popular uprising, um, is one dimension of that event, uh, of those events that has been, to, to me, underplayed a little bit or under-emphasised. Under, um, um, and it is fascinating that what we end up with, rather than a transformation of these political um, um, environments, is in fact a replication of them, but with new leaderships. Tunisia less so, but Egypt, I mean, after seven years, almost six, almost going into seven years after the um, uprising that toppled Mubarak, Egypt looks more an authoritarian state um, uh, run by the military and the uh, sort of uh, cadre of elites than it did under Mubarak. Um, 
And I think Zimbabwe is heading in the same direction. We may see an end of the Mugabe era, but we're probably going to get uh, ZANU, um, uh, ZANU PF's uh, replication uh, of Mugabe in, in, with a new leadership. Um, so it, it is interesting yeah, how yeah, politics is. is playing out. Is this a solidification or a new version of American uh, hegemony? Oh, look, I, I don't think we've moved... Uh, it, it's certainly the same imperial project is shaping all these political outcomes, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, other people would say that's more complicated than that, and there is a complexity around it, but ultimately we're still... Uh, you know, a country like Zimbabwe is um, economic... Uh, structures uh, will remain will be unchanged unless something dramatic happens in the global system, or Zimbabwe is able to recreate itself in some you know sort of um, uh, sort of uh, incomprehensible way, incomprehensible for us at the moment. Way, um, its its economic system is still going to be driven by the um, need to sell mainly agricultural products for foreign capital. Mm. Um, and uh, and an immigration policy that's largely um, um, bound to South Africa. So um, where cheap Zimbabwean labour or labour from Zimbabwe tries to find uh, um, employment in South Africa and then some uh, element of that remuneration uh, um, greases the wheels of the Zimbabwean economy. Well, if you go up to the top of Africa and uh, the uh, politic in uh, Europe where there's been an increase in the vote for uh, rightist parties uh, on the back of uh, people fleeing from uh, dreadful situations in the top of Africa, we're reading about Libya and uh, the slave market, uh, you know, uh, people being sold as slaves. It's a reaction to the same... Politics or the same global political um, politics playing out. That is, the people who are fleeing um, places like Libya and elsewhere are fleeing largely because of the lack of hopelessness, or the, the, the feeling of hopelessness, lack of opportunity, the sense of fear that these um, um, tyrannical, uh, outward looking uh, neoliberal um, governments repressive governments uh, um, um, maintain um, and um, the people in Europe who are reacting to this uh, immigration threat are reacting to it because their own so- social, their own employment opportunities and social welfare and access to um, social goods is being eroded by the same neoliberal politics that is hollowing out the state so and of course, their fear is that the standard of living will drop because of these immigrants. When in fact, the standard of living is falling because of the neoliberal politics that's causing those people to flee um, and go to Europe in the first place. So here we are, caught in this nexus of neoliberalism creating both the exodus and the reaction to it. Yes, I mean it's interesting because uh, international workers of the world would be. Uh, it was ne- there was never a time when international workers of the world unite is not a slogan that is more needed in a way. Yes, I know. I agree. I agree. Um, but you know the the way that nationalism, racism, um, and a whole range of other isms play uh, uh, cut across that to ensure that workers don't 
um, organised either nationally or globally, um, is still very very powerful force. Yeah, not not seen. Think about the lead up. If if we think about the lead up to World War One, and uh, especially in Europe, the uh, building uh, or the the development of a workers' international and the communist movements, the crossing across national boundaries. And then the, the response of the bourgeoisie was to create, a, a, or not create, but to sort of uh, um, um, develop and, and generate over time a sense of nationalism that trumped any collective um, or shared um, 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 feelings or, 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 or um, um, consciousness. Yeah, created team colours. Yeah, created team yeah, colours. So, yeah. Yeah, so they fought each other in the trenches rather than fighting for their uh, for similar rights to better uh, um, wages and conditions. Well, it's interesting because it's probably in conflict now because uh, multinationals are the and their structures are actually trumping nations. However, there's a lag between how workers and governments. Align themselves, isn't it? There's this real struggle going on. No, oh, absolutely, yes, yeah. I mean, these the struggles are internal and then um, external. That is, you know, we are struggling within um, uh, every national boundary to sort of find space to um, to uh, protect or uh, progress our rights, um, and then. You know, we're also doing, countries are doing that nationally against each other. So the com- competitiveness at both levels um, is quite intense. I mean, it's interesting because there's going to be rallies against this character called Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, who's coming to Melbourne, who's identified as a uh, right wing, uh, I don't know, I suppose, celebrity, a right wing celebrity. Uh, mm. And. Uh, and I suppose it ties with the way people perceive the police uh, being nice to fascists but unpleasant to left a- leftist activists. Uh, is uh, is this just... Um, why would a right-wing celebrity be more re- uh, open to be allowed, you know, the red carpet treatment in Australia than a socialist? What's your view? Oh, well, I mean, on one level, um, this person's views on the world... I mean, you know, look, I don't want to, to always draw parallels back to the 1930s, but if you remember the well, 1920s and 30s, but Mussolini and um, Hitler were both seen by the conservative forces, the Juncker class in Germany and um, the church and other um, 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 uh, sort of... Um, Powers that be. ...ruling class uh, elites in, in Italy to be a panacea or a way of dealing with um, the, the problems of the left. Um, and, any, and so, you know, I, I, there, there has been... I mean, we've seen it here in Australia. Pauline Hanson, um, you know, for all the, the sort of... Um, uh, what would you call it, sort of um, um, satire against her, even amongst conservatives, she's still given a lot of space to talk. Yeah, a lot of uh, space. Really, into, and a lot of, uh, a lot of space. And someone with the, 
lack of the the sort of poor grasp of, of politics and the intricacies of uh, you know sort of the complexities of dealing with the um, the national sphere really shouldn't be given anywhere near as much uh, time um, uh, as you know many thoughtful considered people who never get to speak uh, in the public sphere. I mean the whole thing with Tony Abbott and his ridiculous views on. Uh, climate change, for example, amongst other things, but the amount of um, airtime he gets is just hor- horrific when you think about how ridiculous his statements are. So conservatives, uh, these sort of right-wing elements tend to get a fair bit of um, airtime just by a very notion that their politics, you know, whilst hideous in some cases, is still uh, useful, serves a purpose for the ruling class. If we if we wanted to summarize 2017, mm. it's the it's it's understanding how the uh, ruling classes around the world are trying to uh, maintain control at a time when political um, ideals and people's can sort of um, 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 con- connection to the uh, neoliberal. Um, uh, ideology has eroded dramatically, and that's why you get people like Trump or these sort of right-wing people um, um, sort of catapulting into public life in a in a way that they may not have 20 years ago. I still, despite all the um, difficulties that we're seeing at the moment and the sort of uh, pessimism in some sense about the rise of the right, we also have to remember that the forces that are challenging. Uh, are also important to to keep in mind, and that there is a lot of that happening. And uh, um, yeah, I'm still optimistic about the capacity for change. And to end on the note that we started on, um, the fact that we're, Australia has voted for same-sex marriage or marriage equality is a sign that progressive forces still have capacity to change the world. And that was Dr. Noel Pasilhi's last little chat for the year 2017, coming to the end of the year. I'll have to say uh, we have to run out of the studio very quickly because we've gone right to the edge. Uh, We talked Manus Island. We talked uh, uh, Eureka. We talked with Dr. Noel Pasil. We'll go out with uh, Song for Eureka Stockade, David Robix. And uh, don't forget that, of course, tomorrow is International day of disability and we've got a full day of programming and of course it is also the day that celebrates Eureka From every corner of the world they came from all around when in 1851 they struck gold upon the ground every voyage was a long one months upon the stormy sea Some to seek their fortune, others escaping slavery. What they found on the gold fields was ruled by brutish thugs. Discrimination and taxation mixed with swinging billy clubs. The gold was getting scarcer and cops were getting worse. The diggers burned their licenses and vowed to end this curse. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From twenty different nations they gathered here as one In Ballarat beneath the southern sun
tried to divide them, giving preference to some. The diggers wouldn't have it. They said it's all of us or none. They built the stock. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.